Good morning, church. Happy Easter. Christ the Lord has risen today. We celebrate that. Oh, we celebrate that. If you are just uh, joining us, you're just uh, visiting with us, I want you to know, I say this often, but I mean it, if you're looking for a perfect church with people who have it all together, you came to the wrong place. Uh, certainly, the person standing in front of you is a mess, and so, uh, so if you're looking for a group of people that don't have it all together, but are committed to the one who does, who really believes that there is a man out there who died, gave his life, and did not stay dead so that everybody can find hope and live with the purpose you were intended to live, then you are in the right place, and we want to welcome you here. Uh, we're just going to look at the message of Jesus on this particular day, celebrating his resurrection. There are many different stories that account for the appearances of Jesus after he died. We're going to look at the one in Luke chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, we're going to read that first and then get into the message. Luke 24, starting in verse 13. This is the gospel of our Lord. Now on that same day, that Easter day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, this the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and he's appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened all the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
Okay, I want to get at this journey on this particular day with Cleopas and one other person. We don't know the name. It may be the same person called Clopas and John, so this may be a couple, Cleopas and his wife Mary. We don't know. We don't know. But they're on a journey on that day, and I want to get at it with uh, more. Now it's, I guess, become a classic, really. (laughs) A movie that came out 20 years ago now, and I want to introduce you to the beginning of the story of the Harry Potter saga. By the way, if you don't like clips, don't worry, not yet. Not yet? Hold on. (laughs) You don't like clips? Come back next week. But I do like on days when we have the kids here, I want to get into the story of Scripture with stories we do know and understand here. But here's what I want you to think about as I show you the beginning, a couple of beginning scenes from Harry's childhood. I want you to ask this question, what would be the hardest thing if this were your childhood? What's the most difficult thing that he experiences? What what maybe is even something you might identify with in a good way or a bad way? It shows you some clips from his early childhood. It'll skip over the scene, just go in between there. He makes the glass disappear and a snake leaves and all that kind of stuff. So take a look at the clip. Ask that question in your mind. What's the most difficult thing? Play it now. Up. Get up. Now. Why don't you just cook the breakfast and try not to burn anything? Yes, Aunt Petunia. I want everything to be perfect for my Dudley's special day. Hurry up. Bring my coffee, boy. Yes, Uncle Vernon. Aren't they wonderful, darling? How many are there? Thirty-six. Counted them myself. Yes, well, some of them are quite a bit bigger than last year. I don't care how big they are! No, 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 no. This is what we're going to do. Is that when we go out, we're going to buy you two new presents. How's that, Pumpkin? What happened? I swear, I don't know! Uh, One minute the glass was there, and then it was gone. It was like magic! There's no such thing as magic. Make a wish, Harry. I may have sat on it at some point, but I imagine it'll taste fine just the same. 
Baked it myself, words and all. Thank you. It's not every day your young man turns 11 now, is it? Hey? Excuse me. Who are you? Rubius Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts. Of course, you'll know all about Hogwarts. Sorry, no. No? Blimey, Harry, didn't you ever wonder where your mum and dad learned it all? Learned what? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? A wizard. And a thumping good one, I'd wager, once you trade up a little. No, you've made a mistake. I mean, I can't be a, a, a wizard. I mean, I'm just Harry. Just Harry. Well, just Harry. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain when you were angry or, or scared? So begins the story of Harry Potter. You might say, what in the world does it have to do with Jesus? Follow me here. First of all, we'll get back to the question in a moment, but I want it in the back of your mind. What is the most difficult part of his childhood? For me, I love space, so the place he was living would drive me nuts. Broom closet locked there under the stairs with the ceiling coming down, that would drive me nuts, right? Uh, what else might what, drive you nuts? I, I don't know, living with this crazy aunt and uncle as a slave in your own house. He's 11 years old. He's making all the meals on his birthday He's neglected, he's mistreated, horrible. Probably one of the worst things is Dudley, right? I know what it's like to be the small guy in the family, by the way. I, I had a good brother, but he was 13 years older than I am. And so I've told you stories before, he'd wrestle with me. But I, I remember there were times when we were little, he would make us eat the sandwich he liked. Before we got up from the table, we would have to at least take a bite of his peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches. So maybe that's the hard part of the story, I don't know, being the little guy in the house. What is it for you? So think about that in the back of your mind. We'll come back to it. At this point, all I want you to see is that Harry Potter, in the beginning of this story, is on a journey. And the moment after this, he has to make a choice. Whether to move forward and enter into an entirely new realm and a new place and new possibilities or stay with the story he's already been living, he's got to make a choice. And that's exactly where this couple is as they're walking along the road on Easter Sunday morning. Are they going to stay with the familiar world that they know? Or are they going to be taken into a whole new world of possibility that made no sense to them on this day 2,000 years ago? And on Easter Sunday, of all Sundays, it's an invitation for all of us to ask that same question. Where are you in your journey of life, and what are you going to do with this mysterious stranger who seems to show up in the middle of our story? and Mysteriously invite us forward into a world we cannot know. What are you going to do with the stranger who comes in on the road? One of the first things I want us to see, though, and it is so important, especially on Easter, to get this, that these two people, these followers of Jesus, these disciples of Jesus, are not pillars of faith at the beginning of the story. It doesn't start that way. They start in doubt 
and despair. That's how they begin. They start not having any idea where it is they're going at this point in the story. They start in confusion and hopelessness on Easter morning, by the way, even when Jesus is right there with them. Very important to recognize. I don't know if you're like me, but there are times when I will tell myself, you know, when I doubt or I struggle or I have questions, man, it would be so much easier if I were just there when he was here. If I could just see Jesus and walk with him, I would never doubt, I would never question, and I would never struggle. You ever thought that before? You know, the only problem with that is none of the resurrection stories say that. In fact, every one of the resurrection accounts of the appearances of the resurrected Christ, no one gets it at the beginning. No one gets it. These disciples are walking with Jesus, and they don't get it at the beginning of the story. They start in despair. They start in doubt. They start in struggle. They start in hopelessness. Look at some of the language here. Verse 17, Jesus says, what are you talking about? And before they say a word, it said they stood still, their faces downcast. Have you been there before? Where even your body will tell the story of despair inside your heart? That's where they began on Easter Sunday morning. Look at verse 19, when they start telling the story. It's very important to listen to the language. They say, he was a prophet. This Jesus was a prophet. He was the one that we were banking all of our hopes on. He was. It was all past tense. Their hope was past tense. Or the line that gets me the most, because I've been there before. Have you not? Verse 21, they said, we had hoped. Have you been there in that moment? We had hoped hoped that he was the one that was going to make a difference. Have you ever hoped for something? Have you ever dreamed for something? And it wasn't some pie-in-the-sky dream. It was a good dream. It was a godly dream. It was something you were banking your heart on only to have it come crashing down on the hard rocks of reality. Have you ever been in a we-had-hoped moment? That's where they started on Easter with Jesus right next to them. And let's be honest, one thing that makes it even worse is what we celebrate in other places at other times. I call it the mystery of God. The mystery of God's working. The mystery of God's activity. The mystery of God's presence. Did you notice they start Easter morning in despair and doubt, and it says Jesus comes up in the middle of their desperate conversation, and in verse 16 it says, but they were kept from recognizing him. Why? Of all days, why were they kept from recognizing him here. Haven't you been in those times in your life where it feels like God is almost intentionally hiding? You know he's there, you know he's present, but you can't see him. Have you been in those times in your life you know God is working, but he is working in all too subtle and non-obvious ways? That's how Easter started 2,000 years ago. The mystery and the hiddenness of God, and if you're like me, it's hard. So I was writing this part of it. I'm thinking about a friend of mine. All he wants is to make the next right decision for his family. He's got a decision, a choice to make, uh, some discernment about what the best thing is. And it's a life-changing decision for people in his family. It can make all the difference in the world. And he's begging God for wisdom and insight. He needs something. And he's hearing nothing. 
The mystery and the hiddenness of God that frustrates us. In our doubt and our despair, sometimes God is not obvious. That's where Easter started on this day. So before I say anything else about this text, if you are coming here and somewhere in your heart of hearts, you might not even declare it out loud in a room like this, but something inside of you says, I have a hard time today celebrating what it is we celebrate on Easter, that God takes death and turns it into life, that God takes things that are impossible and turns it into possibility and hope. If you have a hard time, welcome to the party. That's where they all started. If you have doubts and struggles and questions today on Easter Sunday, welcome to the community. You are not alone. That's where everybody started on Easter Sunday morning. And it's all right if it takes a little time, because this is one of the things I love about Jesus. He plays the long game when it comes to developing our faith. Isn't it marvelous? Did you see him in the story? Jesus does not rush. He's playing the long game. He's with them, with them for the long haul of the conversation. By the way, have you ever just stopped in a moment like this, and you can do it for almost any of the resurrection stories? How different would this story be if it were you or I who are the one resurrected? How different would it be if we were writing the story? I'm just telling you, if I were dead and they killed me and I came back to life, I would not be taking a leisurely stroll out in the middle of nowhere with one person we don't even know their name. Is that right? I would be on Colbert, I would be on Fallon at night, I would be on the Today Show in the morning, I would be hitting Fox News and CNN and all this stuff in the middle of the day. I would go to D.C. and walk into the White House, hello, I was dead and I'm alive. I would go to the Kremlin right now, wouldn't you? But Jesus is not in a rush. Do you see this? It's so beautiful. What does it say? Verse 15 they're talking and they're struggling and they're doubting. And it says, Jesus came up and walked along with them. <laughs> he just joins them in with the stroll. And then it's so marvelous. He says, what you talking about? <laughs> what are you doing? You are dead. What are you talking about? By the way, he takes their arrogant insult. It's almost like the moment where Dudley shoves Harry back into the closet, right? That's what they're doing with Jesus. What do they say? Please take in the irony. This Luke loves giving us the irony of the moment. They look at Jesus and they say, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on today? Jesus. <laughs> he is the only one who does know what's going on. And so what does he do in response to their arrogant insult? He says, what things? <laughs> tell me about it. And they tell the story of Jesus to Jesus. And then down in verse 28, it's, it's so marvelous. He acts like he's going farther. He's just going to keep on walking. And they say, hold on, it's late. Stay with us. And he does. Don't you have somewhere better to go? But no, he doesn't. He comes and he stays with him and he eats. Now listen, this may be hard for us sometimes to believe. And it may not be in our timing, but listen to me. What I see in this story is our God has impeccable timing. He has a sense of timing. He knows how to wait and to eat with them. He knows how to listen and to linger with them. And in our times of struggle and despair and our we had hoped moments, he knows how to just sit in it with us. 
And he has this impeccable timing of knowing when, after doing all of that, to bring in a little bit of challenge. Did you catch it? In verse 25, can I just be honest with you? I don't totally know what to do with this. This is my Emmaus confusion at the beginning. I don't know what to do with verse 25. After Jesus listens and loves and pays attention to their struggle, he says, now, how foolish you are. Slow of heart to believe. That feels a little harsh on Sunday morning. Feels a little harsh. How foolish and slow to believe that a dead man who can, can come to life. Now, they did have all the information they needed, by the way. Isn't this true for us? They had all the information. They had more on this in a moment. Scripture that talked about this. They had Jesus' own predictions if they were disciples of Jesus. And they had the reports of the women and other people who came and the tomb was empty. They had enough. But it feels a little harsh. And I'll be honest with you. Can I just be honest with you as a preacher? I want to come in and rescue Jesus here. You had those moments before? I'm going to come in. I'm going to explain what Jesus was saying was really not so harsh. I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing in that moment. Have you done that before? Have you encountered somebody who struggled to believe in God and the problem of evil and all that stuff and we become God's defense attorney? Can we just say this on Easter Sunday morning? It's not my job to defend Jesus. He doesn't need it. It's not my job to defend God. He does not need to be defended. Here's what I can say. I don't know what's going on here. I can't explain it. But let me tell you what I do know. Can I tell you what I do know? What I do know is the, the one who issued this challenge is the same one who has spent all day when the rest of us would be on, on all of the television broadcasts and all that. He's the same one who walked with them all day long and listened to them all day, right? More, more importantly, the one who brings this odd and unexplainable challenge is the same one who one chapter before this said something and prayed a prayer none of us would probably ever pray. While they were killing him, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The guy who's bringing the challenge is that guy. And then one chapter before that, the guy who's bringing the challenge that I can't explain in this moment is the same one who said, God, I don't want to die, but I will give my life voluntarily for the lives of all the people that will gather on this day. Why? Because your will and not mine be done. Can I explain this? No, but here's what I'll tell you. I trust him. I don't understand the challenge, but I trust the one who brings it to know that when the time is right, Jesus will bring the challenge that I need to hear in the middle of my doubt and my struggle. Jesus is playing a long game here. And maybe the challenge is at some point in our journey, at some point in our struggle. It's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to wonder. But there comes a time where we move a little bit from doubt to action. We take some step in God's direction. Did you know, historically speaking, Easter is about taking action? It's not just celebrating did you know of all days in the Christian year, throughout the last 2,000 years, the day that more people are baptized, giving their lives to Jesus, than any other day is Easter? It's been tradition for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for followers of Jesus, or would-be followers of Jesus, to use the days leading up to Easter to prepare your hearts to make that decision. And that's a great time to do it. In fact, I would say, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I invite you to do that. Or at least to think about it. Because if you're like me, I grew up thinking, oh, i got to do this ritual to check off the box and do everything right. I remember 
A guy telling me one time, I, I'll get baptized one day when I get it all together. Oh my goodness, we're baptized because we can't. All baptism is is a surrender that says, I can't run my life like you can, so I give it to you. And we get into Jesus' story of death, burial, and resurrection. So maybe it's a good time to do that and invite you to think about that. Come talk to me, the elders, ministers. But for most of us, it's probably not that. For most of us, this is a day where, yes, we bring our doubts and struggles. And if that's where you are, it's okay to be right there. You don't have to go anywhere else. But if the time is right, maybe this is the moment where the Holy Spirit of God just tweaks you just a little bit to say, can you take one little step in God's direction? I remember a dear friend of mine, the first time I ever met him, he knew what I did for a living, and so he came up to me one day and he said, look, I believe in God, but I don't get this whole Jesus thing. Don't get it at all. And if I had talked to him 10 years before, I would give him the canned studies and I'd walk him through and convince him of all the things he needed to be convinced of. I have since learned Jesus is his best defense attorney. And if you just let him walk along the road, he'll do the work. So here's what I challenged him. Call him Tom. That's not his name. I said, Tom, I, I just want to invite you to pick one of the Gospels. Pick one of the tellings of the Jesus story. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was a military guy, so I suggested Mark. You can pick any of them. I suggested Mark. Why? Because Mark is what I call the Gospel on Speed. <laughs> right? No baby stories, no sonograms, no pictures. He is an adult. Let's go. And Jesus goes, and it says immediately he goes there, and immediately, so it's a story of action. I said, you're a man of action. Go read that. And here's what I, my challenge was. Read it until something grabs you, and then lean in. That was it. Less than a month later, I got a call from Tom, and I still remember the day we sat down in a coffee shop. I can picture where we were sitting when he leaned in, into me, and he said, they killed him. He said, I'm a military guy. I'm willing to give my life for a cause. But they killed him, and he gave his life for the people that were killing him. And I watched as his heart was burning as Jesus opened the cross to him in that story. Jesus is playing the long game. He is in it for your whole life. So bring your doubts and your struggles and your questions, but let him poke and prod at some point in time to take some step in his direction and see what happens then. Because here's what I love about this story. Do you see the power of it? The power of walking with Jesus over the course of your life, one way or another, we end up the same place they do. They move from despair to hope. Notice how different it is they start from where they start to where they end. Where do they start? Downcast, despair, we had hoped kind of moments. By the way, neat little detail that Luke includes in here, it's more than just a historical fact. It is that. Where were they walking? Did anybody catch this at the beginning of the story? Did you catch where they were walking? Away from Jerusalem. Why is that a big deal in the Gospel of Luke? Because chapter 9, verse 51, it said Jesus set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem. That was the place of the purpose of God. And where is it in their confusion and their despair and their hopelessness they were walking? Away from Jerusalem. It is no surprise that as they walk away from the purpose of God and the place of God, that they get more and more confused. But what happens by the end of the story? Did you catch it? Verse 33, it says they returned at once. Where? To Jerusalem. Why is that significant? Because they just told us, Jesus, it's late. You shouldn't be walking out here. They don't have Uber. 
Right? They don't have safe streets. But as soon as they encountered the resurrected Christ, it says, without delay, at once they went back to Jerusalem to tell the story. They start in despair. They end as the model witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. And it all happens in this one moment. What happened? What made the change? What is it that Jesus gave them to turn to despair into hope? What is it that we might look for? Oh man, I'd love to give you the dazzling light show. Here's, here's as simple as it is. Jesus gave them a story. He gave them a story that made sense of their world. If you look at verse 27, wouldn't you love this Easter sermon? Luke, why did you not write this one down? It says, beginning with Moses and the prophets. That's not just a random place. That's the description of the entire Old Testament. He told the story of God about himself about how God created a world for us to find a place of intimacy and connection with him, with each other, and the world, and we broke it. And God did not give up. He had a plan first through a people who also broke it, and he came through those people to get it right, and not just for you and me to float away to heaven one day, but to set the entire world right. Colossians chapter 1, Jesus told the story from the very beginning. A story that made sense of their lives. Two things that Luke tells us about this story. Oh, sometime we'll dig into this more, but I wanted to give you just a taste of it. He says it here, says it again in verse 46. He says, the Son of Man had to die and he had to be raised. He had to suffer and he had to be raised. I love the great thinker, Blaise Pascal. Great mathematician, philosopher, and yes, follower of Jesus. This is what he says. You don't even have to believe in God. Here's my invitation for you if you really want to wrestle. Everyone in the world has some story they're living their life by. Everyone has some grand picture, some story. For some, it's the American dream. Uh, for others, it's uh, live in the moment. Uh, for someone else, it's, you know, with the, the one with the most toy wins. Whatever your story is, he said, here is my challenge. Blaise Pascal says, whatever your story is, it must account for two things that we find everywhere in life and everywhere in every human heart. Two things. You ready for it? Number one, a great principle of greatness. Number two, a great principle of wretchedness. See if you don't see this anywhere in human history and in every human heart. If you look close enough, there'll be something dazzling and breathtaking and great. And there'll be something broken and unholy and wretched. What story are you living in that will tell and make, an, make sense of that? So Jesus said the Son of Man had to die. I'm not going to blow off the wretchedness of the world. I'm going to take it into myself and do something about it. And hope will not die. Death will not have the last word. I have to be raised from the dead. And every story that's ever been told steps into that rhythm. Does it make sense? Yes, because Jesus has told the story from the very beginning. Love the way N.T. Wright puts it when he said, these people, this couple that was struggling to believe wasn't struggling from spiritual blindness. It was because, and I listened to this quote, they were living and telling the wrong story. I ask you again the question, what was the most difficult thing for Harry Potter? You could say all the things I said before. Here's what I say. The most difficult thing is that he didn't know who he was. He was living and telling the wrong story. He had a scar on his head and didn't know what it meant. He had possibilities and power. There was a world where everybody knew his name. And there was an enemy who was bent on taking him out. And I'm telling you, the same thing is true about you. 
And Jesus stands ready on Easter Sunday to tell you a story about the possibility of God working in you in such a way you're never just Harry or just anybody else. You are the one who carries within you the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You have possibility and you have an enemy who is bent on your destruction. And God will tell you the story that makes sense of your life. Can we please, on Easter Sunday, refuse to live and tell inferior stories about our hearts and our lives and the world? But the last thing, by the way, wouldn't you think it would be enough for them to come to faith from despair to hope, having the story, having Jesus physically there, but that's not when they saw him. When did they see him, Kelly? When did they see him, church? When did they recognize him? When he broke the bread. In fact, this is what it said in if you're new to church, don't worry about making the connection, but some of you have heard this before. Where have you heard these words before? He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Have you heard those words in Scripture before? He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Where have you heard it? You can talk. The Last Supper. In chapter 19, right? the Last Supper, Jesus instituted the meal that we just participated in, and he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. The first time we hear it is the foreshadowing of that meal in the feeding of the 5,000. And we're told that there's going to come a day when Jesus sets everything right. And it's going to be that kind of moment where we sit down at table in the banquet feast of the kingdom of God. Luke's great theme. Go read the book of Acts sometime. Every time you hear these words, it's technical words for communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or whatever you call it. Jesus didn't show up and just eat with them. He churched with them. So here's what I learned. The only way to get fully from despair to hope, I need a story, but I also need a people committed to live that story out. Do you hear that? I will not see Jesus until I receive Jesus, but together we fumble and we stumble and we fail, but Jesus plays the long game with the community. He explains it and then they experience it. He describes it, but then they display it in community. You always need the story and the people of the story and the God in the middle of it all, and that's when the magic happens. Isn't that powerful? I've seen it happen before. One of my be most beautiful experiences in all of church. It was a long game, by the way. I met a young lady one time who came into my life in the same place that these folks began their story and Harry Potter began his she grew up in a situation where there was abuse. She grew up in a situation where there was fear. She grew up in a situation where she did not know the story of Jesus and the possibility of her life. And listen to me, it was not a movie. And I got the opportunity to open the Bible and tell her a story. It was the story we celebrate today, the story of resurrection. Next slide. That really is real. You can go there now. The tomb was empty. And I told her the story of resurrection in such a way that you realize this isn't just a historical thing we think about. It is the promise for you in your life. Because God, as he resurrected the body of Jesus, can resurrect the story of any human being, any community, and will resurrect the world one day. Oh, it was a long game. It took a while. She gave her life to Jesus. But my favorite thing that I saw I didn't just get to baptize her. I got to do her wedding. 
There was one element that she included in her wedding that I'd never seen before or since. They had a special moment where they came in and there was a couple that they asked to play a very special role to come and surround them. An older couple came and surrounded them to bless them and to sponsor their marriage. And to say, as you go through the journey of your life together, you will not walk alone. We will be with you. Can you imagine what that said to this young lady whose father did not walk her down the aisle and had no business walking her down the aisle? She lived a whole new story. And all of a sudden, in that very important moment, she was surrounded by a man and a woman, a spiritual father and a spiritual mother and an entire spiritual community that was bent on living out the new story with her and I saw the dawn of hope in her life. And that's what we announce every Sunday and yes, Easter Sunday, that we get to be a broken, messed up, on the journey, long game with Jesus, community of people that is committed to say, not just you're alive, we want to practice your life together. And we get to be the ones in whom he gives the experience of the dawn of hope. Father God, we celebrate you because you are risen and you take everything that is dead and hopeless and you offer the possibility of life. We thank you, Jesus, for being so unbelievably patient with us. We can be so foolish and so arrogant and so slow, and you walk with us and you eat with us until the moment the light turns on. Thank you. Thank you. And we pray that you so embody yourself, not us, yourself in this com community, that we will never be the same, and those that we journey with won't be either. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.